In the summer of 1989, James Todd Smith should have been on top of the world. His latest album, Walking with a Panther, had released to commercial success, spawning several hit singles and reinforcing his position at the top of the rap world. But his reputation in the hip-hop world was another story. Rolling Stone wrote in its review of the album that Smith probably couldn't have picked a worse time to release the album. At a time when rappers were becoming increasingly political and socially conscious, Smith was viewed by many as a sellout. Recalling the time, Smith says, People felt like I was not being honourable, and that I didn't represent where the black community should be heading. Indeed, as Sia Michelle recounts in The Vibe History of Hip Hop, things would come to a head at a voter registration rally in late 1989, where Smith took to the stage and was resoundingly booed by the Harlem crowd, who treated him like a diamond-dipped throwback to a shallower time. Things would not improve on his Nitro tour later that year, which he headlined alongside well-respected artists such as N.W.A. and Too Short to a mixed reception, even being pelted with objects from the crowd at some shows. Under the pressure of both critics and peers alike, Smith turned to his grandmother for advice, who uttered six words that would change the shape of hip-hop to come. She told him, Oh baby, just knock them out. Smith took the words to heart and began work on his next album. He ditched his Kangol hat and began showing off more of his sculpted physique, portraying a grittier edge. He enlisted the help of legendary DJ Marley Marl for production, and lyrically exploded on August 28th with Mama Said Knock You Out, an album that is widely considered his magnum opus. Smith, better known by the name he began rapping under at age 16, LL Cool J, had reasserted himself in the hip-hop world as an authentic artist and a legitimate icon of rap. Six days later, Vanilla Ice dropped his debut album and immediately destroyed Mama Said Knock You Out in sales. It quickly became the fastest and best-selling hip-hop album of all time and has been widely pointed to as a landmark in fake and inauthentic rap. We're talking about Vanilla Ice's To The Extreme. This is When Albums Collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. My name is Judd Boaz. Very excited to be with you and, of course, joined as ever by my co-host, Mr. Pedro Duran. Pedro, how's things? Hey, I'm good. How are, how are you, man? How's everyone? Yeah, man. This, so this is an exciting episode, but it's a big episode. We're doing the man, the myth, the legend, Vanilla Ice. Um, and I figured we needed help for this one. I had to enlist a little bit of help because it was too big a topic for us to tackle by ourselves. I've enlisted the help of a very funny stand-up comedian, Mr. Paul Creasy. Paul, how are things? They're great, Judd. It's wonderful to be here talking about a truly terrible piece of music. That's interesting because I was scared that I would have to defend Mr. Robert Van Winkle uh, all by myself, and thank God... Uh, you're not going to let that happen, because um, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. Well, <laughs> let's get into it, but um, I think that you're incorrect. All right, well, just for a quick bio of how Mr. Robert Van Winkle uh, became Vanilla Ice, around 1985, he was actually big into motocross, and he had won three championships, uh, focusing all his energy on motocross. He breaks his ankle during a race, doesn't really want to race anymore because of the injury, and uses all this spare time to learn how to break dance and do awesome hip-hop moves. Uh, one night he goes to a club called City Lights in South Dallas and was dared to go on stage during an open mic. He won the crowd over, and the, ma- the manager of the club is like, do you, do you want to dance here professionally, like all the time? 
Five years later, he's opening up for NWA, for Public Enemy, for Two Live Crew, doing just, like, breakdancing. Eventually, he formulates his own album, and that would become To The Extreme, which is uh, what we're discussing now. few trials and tribulations along the way, um, including getting stabbed and whatnot. How much do you know about Vanilla Ice? Um, what impact has Vanilla Ice had on your life? Basically, it's just like when... when... Growing up, you just knew that uh, Vanilla Ice was kind of a joke. Consider a one-hit wonder. Um, just, I mean, all these negative things associated with him. Um, kind of a culture vulture. Um, it was the the fake white rapper. You know, all these negative things that can say that could be said about Vanilla Ice. And then even into the two thousands, as he goes on to be uh cement his kind of deedless celebrity uh persona going on reality shows like um like they know they can dance or whatever like that so that's really what i've knew about vanilla ice yeah i um obviously i knew of the song ice ice baby the big hit um and oh really oh because it's a really unknown single i don't think i've ever heard that that song before today yeah, it's uh, it's a little. You might not have heard of it. Uh, it's a little, little song by uh, by a guy called Vanilla Ice. Um, I had heard that song at various parties and things, and had not enjoyed it that much. I heard it before I heard Under Pressure, um, which is that should never happen. That should never happen in anybody's life. Um, but yeah, I, I and I I saw the um the VH1 behind the music about him. Uh, sort of shortly after hearing it, and that it was quite an entertaining addition. Of behind the music because it featured the thing where he tries to justify using the sample by saying that it's slightly different which they say in retrospect is a joke i wasn't sure at the time but apparently he was joking when he he tried to justify it by saying that the sample sounded slightly different um and yeah also just the the story of uh, suge knight dangling him off a balcony allegedly which um it's very amusing allegedly if it happened Yes, um, allegedly, famous record producer and, oh yeah, convicted manslaughterer, Suge Knight, um, apparently took Vanilla Ice out onto his balcony and and threatened to dangle him off it if he didn't sign over the publishing rights for the song. And he would go on to get, um, like, a couple million off Vanilla Ice for the song, and he'd use that money to start Death Row Records. So, in a way... Vanilla Ice is integral to the history of rap because there'd be no Death Row Records without Vanilla Ice. Yeah, he's he's very much the founder of Death Row Records. Yeah, definitely. Let's kick the album off, and what a way to kick the album off, Ice Ice Baby. Um, this is interesting because I am so shocked that they always start their one-hit wonder albums with the one-hit wonder. It is such a mark of confidence. I couldn't believe it. The song itself... Still a banger. Still holds up. It's less cheesy than I thought it would be. Is that? Am I the only one that thinks that? That it's less cheesy than it 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 was going to be in my head? Because think of it like, is it Fuck the Police by N.W.A.? No, it is not. However, and I do say this however, if your only exposure to rap or experience with rap is like the Sugar Hill Gang 
where they rap about going over their friend's house and eating a chicken dinner that tastes no good. I mean, the macaroni soggy, the peas almost, and the chicken tastes like wood. This would sound pretty, pretty hard, pretty gangster. <laughs> well, you mean if you if you stop listening to hip hop after the first hip hop song and then <laughs> only listen to this song afterwards, it would <laughs> precisely. I guess you so. know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, in that very exactly specific right. situation, sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is definitely his biggest hit and uh, and possibly the best song on the album. Um, which I'm always um, uh, uh, a fan of when artists put their uh, one of the their most popular song in the beginning of the album um, because it just gets it out of the way. And if they are able to produce, you know, great music throughout the rest of the album, you know, even kudos to them. Um, but um, um, it it is a funny thing as you were saying, Creasy. With I've seen that interview as well, where he was saying that it's not really a sample because in his words, he says there's an extra like ting or hi-hat at the end of that, of uh, his song. So it's not the same thing, but it's so obviously uh, sampled uh, from Queen and David Bowie. So eventually he did give them songwriting credits and you have David Bowie and, and Freddie Mercury with songwriting credits and he paid them a lot of money. I think he bought just the licensing fee for the song, like didn't even bother sampling it. It was going to be too expensive. I'm just going to buy the rights to the song. Mm. But I want to ask, is this the most made fun of hip hop song of all time? Is this like the most parodied song of all time? You have these infamous sketches that pretty much ended his career of like Jim Carrey on a sketch show doing a Vanilla yeah. Ice impression. Maybe never. I become richer with every endeavor. I'm living large and my bank is stupid because I just listen to real rap and stupid. Or Kevin Bacon. Kevin fucking Bacon is making fun of you. The star of Footloose is making fun of you. That's that's pretty low. Um, is this the most made fun of, parodied music video of all time? Um. I think so, man. It definitely has to be up there. I mean, in 1999, I don't know if anyone read that article, but the the song's music video was retired on MTV's special, 25 Lame, um, where they actually brought uh, Vanilla or Rob Van Winkle. He came out to the, the taping of the show, and they gave him a bat, and he just basically destroyed the video's master tape on TV and then went on to destroy the set um, along and um, a lot of people were saying that he probably has some uh, un, um, worked out anger that he uh, wanted to unleash on that on that videotape. I believe from watching the behind the music special that this was the the um, little known Vanilla hmm. Ice rap rock period where he decided to become a uh, a rap rock artist and re-record re Ice Ice Baby as a rap rock song. That might have been part of that time because 1999 sounds like when behind the music would have been a show that was on TV. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but oh. but to to give it, I mean, a little bit of credit, it is a it is a fun song. I mean, nowadays it's not as cheesy as a some song like uh you know Friday or the Macarena or something like that. Whoa. There's some higher praise there, Pedro. It's not as cheesy as the Macarena. Wow, what a great, what a great yeah, standard. Yeah, but you know, if I'm in a bar, he, he leaps over that low bar. Yeah, yeah. If you're at a bar or something, and this comes on, you can still kind of jam out to it, um, even if you're still, uh, if it's still kind of uh, tongue in cheek, and, and you're jam jamming out to it ironically. I mean, I look, just look at the biggest thing is just in hindsight of everything. It's just that third verse where he's just talking about that gunfight that he's in. Um, when you when you know everything about 
uh, about him now when he says like Shay with the gauge and ice with the nine. It's just kind of like, all right, bro, we know you're not really in drive-by shootings or involved with anything like that. Yeah, this is the only song that I felt like he was talking tough, quote unquote, like he's talking about guns. And I thought he was quite lighthearted all all throughout the album. Yeah, it seems very tacked on, the, the last bit of it, sort of covering all the bases of how to be a popular rapper, which I feel about the album as a whole. It's quite a cynical exercise in sort of... right taking stuff that has worked in rap and making it popular by having a sort of white rapper do it who doesn't really have any other um sort of uh interesting stuff about him in a in a beastie boys kind of way it's also fun that the the writers of this song are listed as vanilla ice earthquake freddie mercury brian may roger taylor john deacon and david bowie which just imagining them writing together uh is a wonderful thing yeah he just had bowie and and freddie over in in his trailer uh do you guys want to come over and just jam a bit in my kitchen see what see what's up just brainstorming, man. Just spitballing. Yeah. What? What could we? David Bowie was like, "What about if you talk about having a nine? And uh, that was how it. That was how it happened. Yeah, that was a solid um, David Bowie impression. Thank you very much. Moving on with the album, we have the second track, which is five seconds long. It sounds exactly like this. Yo, Vanilla, kick it one time, boy. Interestingly enough, this song costs a dollar twenty-nine uh, US on Amazon. So if you want to go and purchase it, worth every penny. I have something. I have something positive to say about this album, which is that the skits are almost ludicrously yeah. short. Yeah, and and skits on hip hop albums are one of my least favorite things. I would say this is the Illmatic of well timed skits on hip hop albums. The only way I will compare this album to Illmatic um, mm, is yeah. that the skit length is completely exemplary oh also it's it's mostly just vanilla ice so those are the two ways that this album is like illmatic minimal guest appearances and very few skits the next song stop the train and this is the point where i started to realize we just had under pressure that oh this track is just stolen from everyone else like every single track on the album is a different sample that's just directly stolen so this one is 1967, Keith and Tex with Stop the Train. They're on the hook there. And it has a reggae sort of flavor to it. Not as much as another song that's coming oh, out. Oh, yeah. Which I know. we Boy. will get to. But what did you think of Stop the Train, which was actually the first song he wrote for To the Extreme? Creasy, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, this is, um, this is when I realized how uh, long this was going to take to get through. Um, it's very, it's like you, you, Ice Ice Baby. As much as I'm like not a massive fan of it, it's good. I, li- I like the production of it, and it's um, as relatively speaking, and it's quite a fun listen. But then you get to this, and it's like he's doing storytelling. And then I looked at the length of. Uh, there's no song on this album apart from the skits that's under four minutes long, which I would say is a catastrophic mistake for a Vanilla Ice album. And it just, oh, it just keeps, it just keeps going. It just it just lasts for way too long. Well, that's just the thing. If you cast your mind back to the heady days of September 1990, if you spent $30 on an album, you had to get your Ugh. fortunes worth. You know, Vanilla Ice was just saying, I'm going to give these kids value. I'm going to give these people what they want for all their money. It's, it's too much ice, Judd. It's too much ice for me. Yeah, definitely. It's too cold. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised, like I, I, we were saying before, I don't know about you guys, but I've never listened to this album ever. So I was surprised that he was attempting to do a story rap. And um, on the listening it to it the first time, I was, uh, I, I kind of liked it. Um, um, but then I realized why I liked it, because if anyone out there has a chance, you should listen to a song uh, by Too Short called Blow Job Betty. 
and it's basically the same uh, formula. It's the same flow, the same type of B. Uh, it's a story rap as well. And I was like, wow, that's why I really, I'm really, really feeling this song. But he's just, just copying another person's style. So is this a bad time to bring up that every black person in America hates Vanilla Ice um, because he stole rap from them? Um, I think it's always a good yeah, time to bring yeah. that up, just in daily life. So before we recorded, Pedro actually linked me a Vanilla Ice interview on Arsenio Hall. It's like a chat show in the early 90s. And watching it, you can tell Arsenio Hall cannot fucking stand Vanilla Ice. Doesn't like what he is, doesn't like what he represents, and he just attacks and attacks. And watching it, it made me feel bad for Vanilla Ice. Like, I sided with Vanilla Ice because he was quite positive. He was just saying uh, lots of like mm-hmm. little motivational things. But he, he came off pretty humble and he came off pretty nice, and people just laid into him. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt bad for him. It's got to be rough being Vanilla Ice. Yeah, a little bit too. I mean, the thing is, I... I... All that research that I was doing, videos before he got famous and all that, it seemed like he was a kid that really enjoyed hip-hop and all these things. And I think I mentioned it to you, uh, Judd, earlier, that it seemed like he just got raped or abused by the uh, music business. And um, he, um, But at the same time, I think he kind of went along with it. Um, so he is at fault um, a bit there. Yeah, so. he did pretty well out of it. I would say, but uh, yeah, so uh, he, yeah, he, he doesn't seem to think of these days very um, fondly in retrospect. Maybe he does now. I don't know, but certainly during his behind the music, he didn't, which I will be referencing every five minutes. Uh, he, he didn't seem, to, he didn't seem particularly pleased about his success during this period. Yeah. In case anyone's listening, that is extra credit for the podcast. You have to watch this. Um, you have to watch extended material like the VH1 special or the yeah. music videos. People love watching VH1 specials all the time. It's free. It's really easy to do. So I actually wanted to pick up in my research for this episode of Vanilla Ice, Ice by Ice, Vanilla Ice's 1991 autobiography, which comes in at a very economical 164 pages. Uh, and it's essential reading for all Vanilla Ice fans. Sadly, and perhaps unjustly, the three closest libraries to me did not have it in stock. And to the best of my research, there exists one copy of Ice by Ice in the entirety of Australia. It's in a library in our nation's capital of Canberra. So if we have any fans in the ACT, I will pay a bad amount of money. Well, they probably had to lock it up in the National Archives for safekeeping. So. Yeah, it's been kept behind um, bulletproof glass in the National Catacombs of the National Library of Australia. Um, as I was saying, I will pay a tremendous amount of money to anyone that can secure this book for me. The next song on the album, Hooked, which is a song about a pretty lady stringing a man along... Uh, I really like the line, she treats you like a dirty diaper, use one, and then she wipes you out. What powerful lyricism that is. What did you think of Hooked? Um, I will say, some of the production on this album, I'm not sure if it, I, I don't listen to a lot of hip-hop of this vintage, um, but some of the production just sounded like incredibly cheap, like the hook to this song. I think it was supposed to be like... Um, sort of a like a brass type of hook but it sounded like it was played on like a very very old keyboard um which was not great because it could have been it could have been uh, quite catchy but it is odd also that he started with like two tracks about how women are crazy 
um, at, the, at the beginning of the album. After Ice Ice Baby, obviously. It was a different time. You just don't understand. <laughs> it's true. It could have been. I mean, it was. It was probably the style at the time. He does. He does do a ladies' track towards the end. So maybe he thought like he can build up all this capital and then just. Uh, <laughs> get it back at the end. Paul, you mentioned earlier, thank God the skits are short. Um, There is a skit. It's right in the middle of the song. It's a Vanilla Ice and a, and a friend or yeah. a producer doing his nerdiest white voice ever, sort of umming and ahhing about what he's going to do about this girl. That ring I bought her, the diamonds weren't no, big enough. Man. I'm telling you, the diamonds weren't... I'm going to... You know what she wants? I'm going to tell no, you. Man, when no. I first met her, she said... I really didn't care for it in the middle of my song. Wasn't, uh, wasn't really what I wanted. No. Well, I don't know. I mean, can you ruin... Can you ruin Hooked by Vanilla Ice? Is that, <laughs> is that possible? So this song in particular, I want to say Vanilla Ice was sleepwalking through the song. Um, I don't know if you've listened to that LL Cool J album, Paul, or or any album from this era of young people, like be it Wu-Tang or Kid Rock or whatever. Young rappers, usually when they get on an album, their first album, they're so excited, they sound almost hungry on the mic. Like they want to eat the mic. They're spitting so hard, they want to they wanna eat the mic. Um, and I definitely get that on LL Cool J, and I get that on Wu-Tang and stuff. Vanilla Ice does not sound hungry on this record. He just sounds like he's just saying the words. He's just spitting the words as they come to him. There's no heat. It sounded so lazy. Yeah, when I was listening to this song, I, I came to really... That, I, that was one of the things yeah, I was going to say. When I, when I started listening yeah. to this song in particular, it, it, it's funny to say, but it became... Uh, uh, real that his rap skills aren't great at all. Uh, I mean, sometimes he's rapping off beat, and then sometimes he'll uh, he'll he's playing catch up to the beat as well with some of his end rhymes. And um, I mean, I listen. There's a lot of rap songs, hip hop songs that are about you know this machismo, this bravado about you know girls ain't good and you got to be a man and stuff like that. But um, it just sounds really corny, especially coming from him, because he's just making it seem like he's just so cool and uh, he's above it, um, just getting caught up. And then particularly then at the end of the album, there's a love song. Um, but and it was this song in particular that I realized that he wasn't cursing. And I wonder if that was a uh, conscious decision uh, on his part or even maybe the record label's part to make him uh, more appealing to uh, a pop audience. so Apparently, according to the excerpts of his autobiography I managed to find, he just doesn't curse. Like, he doesn't use swear words at all. Um, this is just who he is, which I respect in a way. Because in the same way, if I made a rap album, I wouldn't be dropping lots of N-bombs because it's not in my actual mm-hmm. vocabulary. Um, he's not cursing because it's just not how he talks. So everything he's rapping is just his personality, which... At least he's being genuine. You know, he's not pretending to be a clean-cut, goofy dork. He just is a clean-cut, goofy dork, you know? So the next song, Working On It, um, he raps quite well. I I, th- I thought Working On It was a good song. Mm. Ice, Ice is Working It, by the way, John. Oh, yeah, sorry. Ice, Ice, is, Ice is Working, working On It is a mashup with a Jay Dilla song, um, which which would, which would might sound better than this song. Uh, Ice is no. Working It. Can't, <laughs> yes. can't get that wrong. Mm. Ice is Working It. This was a vast improvement from the last song for me this was a great run i love this song i love this song yeah this is the hardcore track this is like the battle yeah yeah this yeah i suppose he sounds a bit more enthusiastic on this song yeah picking up on what you said about the last song one of the one of my notes on this album is a singularly joyless exercise it's it all sounds like very um which is odd considering he's apparently such a big fan of of hip-hop but it all sounds like very kind of by the numbers but on this song he does sound a bit 
more enthused about what he's doing. He sort of. So I will give him points for that. Yeah, he flirts with being competent. He's almost dangerously almost yeah, competent. Never quite gets there, but he does go towards. Um, he approaches it on this song. So it was it was the lyrics on Ice is working it, which was a little bit tough, and then the next song, Life is Fantasy. Where the fuck did this song come from? I did not expect this beat. This is like some horrorcore trap beat. Yeah, they did come. Seriously, out I thought that. I thought on Spotify I'd like jump to the next album or something because this was so incongruous with everything else. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, life is a fantasy. It's what is it's just like a rap to the ladies, right? Where he's describing, and when it's interesting, he's describing that it's a fantasy to have sex with vanilla ice. It's you know, it's not that kind of goes back to that machismo thing. Um, that it's he's not uh, idolizing these women. His it's it's him that is the ultimate fantasy. I like lines when he says, "In my dreams, I vision myself as the ocean, beautiful girls rubbing me down with some lotion." Uh, even though you know I'm cold as an ice cube, uh, let me tell you to make love on an inner tube. I was like, okay, man. Like, it sounds it sounds great. Very difficult would be my description of making love on an inner tube. I feel, I feel like it's too too much uh, too much effort. Yeah, yeah. Like, how many positions are you going to be getting into there? <laughs> That's the thing. The beat here is so wild and doesn't fit at all. Like, when you listen to horrorcore music, and I'm thinking of, like, Insane Clown Posse or, or Flatbush Zombies, and they're talking about, like, eating your flesh or, like, killing you and then, like, fucking your skull or something. Something like that, right? Um, this in Vanilla Ice, he's just talking about making love to a woman to this, like, quite scary beat. Um, and he's like, oh, the sweat's pouring down my chest, baby. It does not fit at all. It's like a Nightmare on Elm Street beat versus yeah. a porno. It's... Wild. You do wonder if the beats got swapped out. Maybe it's just just he uh, they they accidentally swapped in like someone else's like the first Gravediggers album. They they just uh, got one of the beats mixed up. Although that would mean that on the first Gravediggers album there was a Vanilla Ice Ladies track, which I don't think is true. And I'm glad I mentioned it earlier because did you know Vanilla Ice was set to star in Nightmare on Elm Street Six: The Final Nightmare? Really? Um, scheduling didn't quite work out for it, unfortunately. <laughs> Thankfully, he was able to make an appearance in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: The Secret of the Ooze. Yeah. Um, it's possibly the most '90s piece of media I've ever fucking seen. I could feel like my frosted tips. Just starting to poke through as as I was watching the video, um, and he made bank off it apparently. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I had that that movie has a soft spot soft spot in uh in my heart because I just grew up with Ninja Turtles, and I I had the first one on VHS and I had the second one on VHS as well. But I always remember that scene where like you know uh, it would be Toka and Razor they throw the turtles in, in the club, and um, it's just. Ice just hanging out. And then I love it that the whole song Ninja Rap is in the context of the scene is just an improvised rap because he was just like, oh, those guys look like ninjas and I'm a rapper. So let me do a ninja rap. And they just and they totally go for it. Um, an interesting thing about this song as well that I thought another lyric that I thought was so funny. He goes, it's time to get loose. We do it like a train and I'm the caboose. And I was like, all right, sounds sounds uh, sounds on point there. I feel like the word caboose got a lot of airplay in the early 90s hip-hop vernacular. Yeah, everyone decided it was a fun word to use, which it is. 
to be clear. The next track we have, Play That Funky Music. Now, this was the original single, um, and they really tried to push it. Didn't get any airplay. They'd be sending out all these records. Didn't get any airplay. So they changed the, the lead single to Ice Ice Baby, and he became a millionaire. Um, I really hate this song. Just because of the original Wild Cherry sample, Play That Funky Music, White Boy. I fucking hate that song. Uh, horrible song. I really hate it. I um, I didn't care for it. Uh, no, I... I, I I think in yeah it, it does it does remind me of that song which is very um obviously because it samples it but it's very like your parents at a disco that song it's very um like it's very of its time I guess um but yeah it's it the the legend is that one day a DJ turned over and played the B side which was Ice Ice Baby and it did much better and thus and thus Vanilla Ice had a hit and became successful but um it's uh yeah it's it's not great i can see it's very on the nose because it's like hey i'm a white boy and here is some funky music if i release a song called play that funky music about me being a white boy then everyone will be happy but it is also uh not great yeah i think it has one of the worst rhymes contains the worst rhymes uh in the album so far um it sounds like it was trying to mimic ice ice baby uh i think he even starts the the rap with like stop and then he goes into his uh into his rhymes and then um like ice ice baby a lot of the end rhymes are supported with um his vip posse yeah um, which is similar to ice ice baby and i i believe in in this in this uh rap um which is it was ridiculous he has the lyrics for good luck i i like my rhymes atrocious super califagilistic espialidocious I heard that and I was like, wow, dude, this is just, that's just really, really bad. <laughs> like, Yeah, I've always like, said Mary Poppins was the original MC, and I stand by course. that. I'll, I'll fight anyone who says anything different. I mean, she does have an MC name, Mary Poppins, you know? It's, it's Poppins in here. <laughs> MC Mary Poppins in the hood. Yeah, at some point rapping, it's, it's just saying words. <laughs> he's just he's just saying words. Songwriter Robert Parisi was not credited for the song, uh, and he was later awarded five hundred thousand dollars in a copyright infringement lawsuit. So well done to him. This is why Vanilla Ice never <laughs> never kept any of his money. Yeah, wow. And also the vocals are ripped off uh, "Rock the Bells" by LL Cool J just quietly. Uh, if, oh, anyone, yeah. if anyone noticed. Yeah. Is it this song or, or one of the songs where the big hook or the big chant is "Go white boy, go, go white boy, go white boy, go," which I thought um, is funny in a South Dallas nightclub when it's full of black people and you're the one white boy, so they're chanting it at you. It could be very different in another scenario. I don't know why neo-Nazi rallies haven't co-opted "Go white boy, go." Um, I always felt like those rallies, not that I've been to so many, um, I just feel like they lack a bit of soul and a bit of rhythm. I think they would really benefit from a bit of Vanilla Ice. I'm going to say they're, they're not huge fans of hip-hop music, neo-Nazis, in, in the, as far as I know. Um, so, or, or even they won't touch Vanilla Ice, one of, one of the two. That's funny. It's a sad, it's a sad situation. So the next track, Dancin', um, samples were a little bit less subtle back then, right? Because this is just straight up, it's just Jackson 5. You can hear, I can hear Michael Jackson on the hook. Yeah, this was He must have cleared some of these samples. I feel like just by the law of averages, he can't have been sued for every single song on the album. 
<laughs> there's no record of him being sued for this, I assume. Yeah, it's odd because this is a Jackson 5 song. And I would imagine by 1990, Tito yeah. and Jermaine were pretty hard up for money at this point. They would have probably pursued a yeah. copyright case. If yeah, they you would think, wouldn't But you? speaking of the dancing, he's actually a very skilled breakdancer. He's a very skilled dancer in general. And yes, uh, for this episode, I did watch every performance of Vanilla Ice on 2016 Dancing with the Stars. And let me tell you, the kid has a hell of a pasadoble. <laughs> uh, that being said, he can dance, he can beatbox, as we discover on this album, he can. He looks great, he can do it all, he just can't rap. Yeah, which is a shame because that is exclusively what you're listening to him do on this album. If he'd somehow released an audio album of him dancing, um, then that would have been, I would, I would have no issue with that. Yeah, he probably would have been a lot more successful on that. Um, yeah, man, I, I just thought this this shit was whack to me. It was like really corny, just just straight out the gate. As soon as I heard it, um, and and I'm even more so. I feel like the 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 longer the album goes, the lyrics just get worse and worse. Because he'll go in this song, he says, "Let's do this dance. Get out your seats and let me shake your pants." Oh, with the bass cold thumping and the high heat high hat snaring, people are jumping and the fly girls are staring. People under forty, yo. Let's get down, and it's like, all right, man. Like, uh, I just uh, like <laughs> it's a very broad base. Yeah, exactly. Like, when was the last time you were in a in a in a club or a bar and you're listening to a rap song and it's just like, hey, everybody under forty, everyone that's under middle age, let's get on the dance floor. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. That is such a good point. The, the under forties thing. Um, the next song 40. on this, go ill. Uh, the the beat is fucking great, and I was like, oh, this is really good. And then I just realized, oh, it's he's just he's just rapping over the nine hundred number uh, by the forty five king. The thing about this song is, unfortunately, in nineteen ninety six, DJ Cool came out with a song called "Let Me Clear My Throat." Oh yeah, the flavor of the rhythm I wrote, and while I get a chance here, let me clear my throat. Um, and he just erased this from ever occurring in the history books. There is no Vanilla Ice song with this beat because DJ Cool just put it to shame. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a classic break, isn't it? Isn't it one of the one of the breaks that lots of DJs were using in the early days of hip hop? Yeah, it's like a it's like a classic beat, but I can't think of honestly, I can't think of any other song that uses it because DJ Cool was so iconic with the with yeah, the definitely. Break. They play it all the time in clubs. He hasn't know. even made the definitive version of Under Pressure, so how's he going to make the definitive version? Yeah, of this? I don't think Vanilla Ice will ever make the definitive version. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Do you think if he would have clear have all these samples cleared, um, including Ice Ice Baby, he would have had a maybe a longer career if he would have just came out and just been like, okay, yeah, I've sampled this and that, and and um, I have to pay royalties. Do you think his career would have lasted longer? Or would there would have been some credibility to him. So the sampling, I know when you take an album like Public Enemy, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Um, you can't make that album anymore because the the sampling costs would cost tens of millions right. of dollars. It just wouldn't be worth it. Um, so to clear all that samples. But I think it does take talent to find good samples. Like there's so many songs out there. It takes talent to find a sample, to, to sequence it, to chop it up like that. I don't know whether he did it or his producer, Earthquake, on this album did it, but it takes it takes talent. This was also around the time when it, the copyright law was a bit blurry as well, because there was a lot of like plunder fun. It, like there's a song Mars Pump Up the Volume, which I think came out around this time. And there was a lot of blurriness around like whether or not you were allowed to use samples in music, and it didn't get cleared up until probably around this time. This mm. might have been one of the first instances right. of the original artist going like, actually, no, you have to pay me a lot of money for using this sample. It's like I was saying, this is where I realised 
he sounds great he has the look he has little eyebrow slits and the and the cool hair which i'm I'm very into um he can dance he has a good beat selection he just doesn't have anything to rap about very little personal info yeah he's he's got nothing to say and a long time to say nothing yeah he has like 57 minutes to rap three things Mm, yeah you're you're right I know I said earlier that there are no guests on this album as, as possibly a, a point to compare it to Ormatic, but actually I think it could really have, even if they were ter- if they were like terrible pussycats, it could really have done with some guest verses from other people just appearing to <laughs> break up the songs a little bit. Because like there's even even like weed carriers have have something to add. The next track, it's a party. I wrote down mm. in my notes when he raps fast, he does party tracks. This is Vanilla Ice at his coldest. <laughs> And I assume I'd had a few wines at that point and didn't realise how corny that line would be. Also, he just puts the Thriller laugh, the laugh, very famous laugh from Thriller, right in the middle of the track. Yeah. No skewing, no changing it over, it's just, it's just the Thriller laugh. Didn't he use like a Flavor Flav sample at one point as well? Oh yeah. no, sorry, he uses the, the, yeah, w- the sample from Don't Believe the Hype at one point, doesn't he? Is that, on, is that on this song or is that on a different song? I can't remember. Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you if it was in, in this song. It's just like a blur to me. It's a melange of, of sounds. Now. Yeah, there is one song where, and I, I, I'm not, I don't care enough to remember what song it is, but there is a song where he uses a sample from Don't Believe the Hype as well. Yeah, it's just like, just samples thrown in occasionally. Yeah, uh, I found the hook to be super repetitive. I was, It was like super annoying. And yeah, I was shocked that he used that Vincent Price's voice and it's just lifted from Thriller. And, like, I mean, Thriller is one of the most famous songs ever. So if you listen to this record, you're instantly like, did he just, like, copy Michael Jackson? And then um, – uh, and he lifts uh, – he uses a Beastie Boys sample in the, in this in this track as well, um, which, I, which I thought was funny. And, um, and, and, and I noted that this was the first song in which he curses because, like I said before, I was really uh, – aware that he hadn't cursed in previous records. And I'm just thinking like, maybe, you know, it was a, uh, a, a very conscious decision and, in, in hopes to reach a, a bigger pop audience. So yeah, that is but interesting. Like it was like... probably the record label trying to, to clean him up. So I was, I was certainly shocked Pedro when he chose this song as his first swearing track and dropped the word cunt eight times in a row. That was, was bold. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Go hard or go home. That's vanilla ice's motto, obviously. Um, according to this song. The next track, Juice to Get Loose. It's another eight-second belter of a song, um, $1.29 on Amazon if you want to purchase it. It's worth it. The next song, Ice Cold, uh, another lover track, and big old shades of Chris Brown in this one. Uh, His sexual assault vibes are big time on this one. The, The lyrics, Be on the lookout in your vicinity. I'm robbing virgins of their virginity. Uh, That even in 1990, was strong. He, do, he, he does say, um, like Robin Hood gave to the poor, which I think is a um, a wonderful comparison. And uh, as as Genius points out, Ice is using wordplay on Robin and robbing, which means to steal. So thank you for that, Genius. He also has the lyric, um, which I thought was interesting, I wore a Jimmy that I slapped on, which I didn't know Americans knew what Jimmys were. Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, it's just very everyone knows what a Jimmy is, yeah. All by this time of the record, like the the whole album starts getting really for, un, uh, forgettable, excuse me. Um it's just uh, it, it's interesting that that persona that he's putting out that he's just so cold that he doesn't um I mean in other words to say 
like he doesn't care give a fuck about these hoes or these bitches you know um he's just he uses them and abuses them or whatever um and it's just it just comes off i don't know man like i said in in hindsight now that we know who he is it just comes off as like super corny yeah um, and just not not believable at all so yeah major fatigue at this point in the album listening to it it also struck me around this time that paul's boutique came out the year before this um as did i think it takes a nation of millions to hold us back Mm. in context the um some other some other album again an album by white rappers was released the previous year that was uh so much more interesting than any of this and yet this was uh I, th- I think successful, more successful by a magnitude of millions to the uh, the Beastie Boys. Let album. me ask, why is that though? Why were the Beastie Boys not shat on as much? Is it like they just weren't as safe, quote unquote? Yeah, well, they um they were successful around Licensed to Ill, weren't they? I think they were the first sort of big uh, commercially successful white rappers, but they then sort of, they went yeah. into like actually making music that reflected them more, whereas they were sort of putting on probably a bit more of an image for License to Ill. And indeed, they apologized for a lot of the content of that album uh, later on. Whereas Paul's Boutique was a bit more of a reflection of what they were actually into, like, musically and lyrically. So, Paul, did you listen to Mama Said Knock You Out, which is the LL Cool J album came out a week before this? Um, I have heard it before. I didn't listen to it especially for this podcast, but I'm not like a massive LL Cool J fan, but... um... So, in it, he has some some very yeah. corny songs like i would call them corny like there's a song called milky cereal where he's con- referring to all these different girls and comparing them to different kinds of cereal which lots of rappers have done similar things is the reason he's not criticized as hard is because he's just more genuine is, is that what it is yeah could be i mean commercial rap around this time even um even from uh ll cool j there's a lot of the like similar sounding uh rhyme patterns and stuff like a lot of the stuff on this album doesn't sound that different to some hip-hop from around that yeah I, uh, although like it's a much more joyless and cynical version of yeah it. yeah i agree i feel like a lot of uh a lot of ice what he's doing on the record is basically copying other people's flows and styles like what i what i mentioned before as far as too short or in another song that we're gonna get to i love you i thought that was just straight up lo cool j's uh song um i need love so so it's that um but in but in uh in regards to the beastie boys and lo and as far as their authenticity um i think why vanilla ice gets shitted on compared to those other two groups is that well it's a number of reasons both of those groups lo cool j and beastie boys were on uh def jam records which is at the time and you know in a lot of ways still a very credible hip-hop label the Beastie Boys were on a uh, tour with uh, Run DMC, and the Beastie Boys in uh, when in their license to ill era, they were they just came out as like really rambunctious, drear, uh, beer beer drinking kind of frat boys, and I think they actually lived that lifestyle, yeah. um, and they were unapologetic to it. I don't know if anyone knows, but uh, license to ill. The original title for License to Ill was supposed to be Don't Be a Faggot. And they actually had to change that because they were so worried about the backlash that was going to come out. And it just gives you some insight as to who they were. And it's good because history has absolutely proven them wrong. That was absolutely the right album title to go with. They probably regret it to Imagine, this day. yeah. Imagine, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then when in relations to uh, uh, LL Cool J, the same thing. He's a guy that's considered a veteran in hip hop at this point in 1990. Started when he was 16, was on Def Jam, came out with classic albums at to that point, and and then he comes out with uh, uh, 
Mama Said Knock You Out, which is, you know, we can argue his comeback album. He would he would argue against that. Um, but and in that album, it's hardcore raps. And when I re-listen to it this time around, a lot of it is him dissing other people in the rap game and um, claiming his supremacy in, in the in uh, in rap. So when you do something like that, I feel that um, you solidify your credibility, your authenticity in, in hip hop. Whereas Vanilla Ice, yes, I think that his skin color had some um, um, negative uh, aspects to it because people look at him and kind of already um, hold that against him. And then with, you know, reports that he lied about his background. And then when he's saying that, no, I didn't sample this group when it's clear that you did, that adds to um, this reputation that he is false and uh, in, in a lot of, in a lot of things. And I think all this, all these things just added to the downfall I, of his career. Go so. ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I would admit that I got the license to all thing completely wrong. Um, <laughs> they, they did actually believe in it when they released the album, but they, they later said that they, um, that, that didn't, didn't reflect how they were now rather than how they were at the time. But yeah, they did. They were very fratty when they first came out, the Beastie Boys. So let me put it like this. It's 1990. Um, this comes out and then an, a rapper like Kid Rock, another white rapper, gets dropped off Jive Records because they didn't want to associate with him. They thought, we don't want any corny white rappers on our label anymore because he was too close to Vanilla Ice. He looked too much like Vanilla Ice, rapped too much like him. Eminem comes out five years later with his debut how much harder did white rappers have to work after this because of Vanilla Ice? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think Eminem, Dr. Dre said he didn't know that he was white when he signed him, yeah, which sounds, it seems very un, it seems very uncredible because like if you hear him rap for like two seconds, you can, t- you can tell that he's yeah. white. Um, but sure, maybe, maybe he didn't know that. Or maybe that was part of the original marketing of Eminem was like, no, no, but like he's, He's good, so please don't compare him to Vanilla. Yeah, I mean, in, in regards to Eminem, I think he grew up when he was coming up as an underground rapper. He got that constantly. I mean, he had to. So, it, it, I mean, after you know the failure of Vanilla Ice, um, any rapper coming up, any Caucasian rapper coming up is going to be compared to that. And I think that is a reason why he wasn't recognized for a very, very long time because they were just like, it's yeah. not going to work. Well, I think, um, I think recognize, but I think I mean, the thing about it is like Eminem can really rap. Yeah. I, I was going to say like recognize, maybe he wasn't recognized as a credible rapper, but I think he still had like a massive, a massive leg up because he was a white, white rapper. By the time like his music came out and he was half decent, I think he was way more likely to be listened to um because he was a white rapper and he was actually good oh yeah i mean once i mean and, and eminem admits it on his records you know he's, he'll say something like um mtv was so friendly to me because i'm w-h-i-t you know e and stuff like that i mean yeah when when yeah. i think it held him back to a point but then when he got put on when he got signed and you hear this guy come out with records a drew a lot more eyes to him because it was like look at this guy this like this white guy rapping and um but then once you listen to him and you realize he's really talented then i mean at this point it, his his skin color is besides the point you know you just know that he's a super talented dude um and, and all that but i think it's ironic now that now for any uh new white rapper now they're being compared to eminem whereas at a point 
uh, any white rapper coming up was being compared to to Vanilla Ice. So we're talking about race, and we're talking about his critics. I know, like KRS One would come out against Vanilla Ice, saying you're appropriating our culture or you're you're turning hip hop and selling out. And they didn't say this about MC Hammer, of course, because he was just as pop, but you know he wasn't white. Um, and I almost want to defend Vanilla Ice here. I want to say like he's not an appropriator. He's a fan. He he worked in a breakdancing club. He just loves hip hop. Um, and I would try to convince people of defending it. And then I would show them a song. And I imagine if I had showed them Rasta Man, oh, brother. which is the next track on the album, I would have to bury my head six feet under in the desert. Uh, even like last the last track, the last track, I was like, man, I wish he mixed it up. Like, just do something different. Yeah. I listen to this, I immediately regret asking him to mix it yeah, up. Yeah, don't mix it up. Stop mixing it up, Vanilla Ice. So this is a reggae track where he's doing a Jamaican accent. I think it sounds like it's going to sound more offensive than it than it is because he's not out here calling people like batty boys or blood clots or whatever. But still, kind of racist, odd stylistic choice. Reggae music been around for a while. Vanilla Ice is doing it hip hop style because this is the one that we got. Yeah, man. This record was obscene. <laughs> when I heard it, I was like, "Wow, I can't believe he really ch- attempted to do that." I, I was, I was, I was dumbstruck. I was shocked when when I started listening to this. It's uh, it's the lowest point of the album for sure. It's embarrassing, and um, this is when they're like, I just took it. I was like, they're just throwing shit at the wall, just whatever, you know. It is, it is super crazy, um, and it, it is, it's weird. Because I'm, I'll have to go back to see when Snow came out with Informer. Um, but when I listen to that Snow's Informer, like I don't necessarily um, think he's actually trying to put it on. It sounds a little more. It sounds a lot more authentic than uh, than whatever Vanilla Ice is trying to attempt on uh, on this record. So you know, Drake sort of got away with it. He just took dancehall music and used it in like work or on More Life or whatever. Uh, what do you think about this this track, Paul? Uh, yeah, it's it's a um, it's an obscenity. It's 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 pretty terrible. 1990 was a long time ago, and sometimes we uh, forget this. Those of us who uh, who lived through this <laughs> lived through this time, but um, yeah, I you would you would think that even at the time, people would have been thought that this was a bit dodgy. It's not like Obla Di Obla Da in like the 60s or whatever, which people I guess still listen to now. But like this is this is. Uh, this is 1990. He's doing he's doing a voice, Judd. He's putting on a voice to do to do a reggae song. I feel like this this was probably not okay at the time. And I mean, it's it's also like not good if he'd come out with an amazing dancehall song, which is statistically very unlikely. But if he had done that, then it may have got a pass. But I guess people um, people just don't like talking about Vanilla Ice anymore, so they don't they don't mention this. And I guess it wasn't a single or anything. But yeah, that's a that's a good point. I th- I think this is this is a song that is forgotten in time because I think if you were to listen, if you were to play this album now to people and be like, oh, have you ever listened to? Did you be like, oh, you know, Vanilla Ice did a reggae song? People would just like shut the fuck up. And then you play this, and and then they'll be like, wow. And then all those all that uh um you know that uh stigma that he gets i think becomes very valid yeah i guess to be a problematic fave you have to have initially been a fave which vanilla ice is not for many people so the next song is called i love you it's like a lovey dovey song and this is his apparently best impression of ll cool j songs and all the reviews even in like the new york times from around this time are like oh he's just trying to be ll cool j yeah and those love songs that ll cool j did were not well received so this is especially not well received 
Um, and it harkens back to he's just stealing all these samples and trying to be something he's not. Maybe it was it was forced upon him. Talking about LL Cool J, there's a song, and the, the main focus of this episode, I wanted to be authenticity. So there's a song, uh, the first track I think of Mama Said Knock You Out, called "The Boomin' System," and it's just a, it's a car song for car lovers. And the reason it sticks out is because LL Cool J knows what he's talking about. I even looked up the comments of of the song, and there's this one huge comment from this like old hip hop head who said, and I quote. When this song came out, it was a long overdue tribute to those of us who just love to blast our car sound systems while driving in our hoods. What made it so special is that LL's rhymes captured the very essence down to the minutia. The trunk was vibrating and rattling, the headlights going dim from drained battery, playing connect the dots with the EQ. Like, he's rapping about these things, but they were actual things that if you uh, drove in a car or you had a car stereo system, he actually knew what you were talking about. And he just says... Thank you, LL, for thinking of us car radio crazies. We took this as a tribute. Um, so it's real, and it's genuine, and it's not manufactured in a studio by someone who knows nothing what they're talking about. I feel like if Vanilla Ice had just rapped about motocross, or rapped about breakdancing, or rapped about something he knew about, it would come over so much yeah, better. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting, because, yeah, like, LL, he designed a song for people riding in cars. He just, he recognized that people especially you know in the early 90s like people are just banging music out of their cars and this is how it's going to get played so if i make a song for people if i make a car song like if people are going to going to uh really appreciate it so. yeah this song for me was pretty revolting to listen to just it, it like the song didn't suit him at all he can't fucking sing it's the worst song on the album i really didn't like it this um this song is over five minutes long this is I, I hate to hark on this point, but nobody needs uh, an over five minute long Vanilla Ice love song, um, and particularly we don't need it. Yeah, the length is disgusting of this track. Also, it is a disgusting length. It's another like real keyboard demo production as well. Like it sounds incredibly <laughs> cheap, and it's just called "I Love You" as well. It's the the least possible effort has gone into oh, it on so every true. level, apart from the length, that. which for some reason may yeah made it really long. That's so funny. I didn't even think about that. It's a love song, and it just says, I love you. Like, there was just like, what are we going to call it? Just call it, I love you. Oh, perfect. I got it. Well, and, and, the, and the hook is, I love you because I love you. That's, it's literally, literally doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. And then we have the last track, uh, which is just a beatboxing track. Having a Roni. Just, he just beatboxes. Nothing to say. Still better than the previous two songs. So that was the album, uh, To the Extreme by Vanilla Ice. It happened. We were subjected to it. Now, what's Vanilla Ice up to these days? He's actually quite successful. He didn't go the way of MC Hammer or a lot of one-hit wonders. He has a television project. He has actually a couple of TV projects. He was on Vanilla Ice Goes Amish and the Vanilla Ice Project, where he just does up houses and renovates them. It's like a DIY show. He's also still making music. He went into, uh, last year, a bit of cowboy rap. Maybe got inspired by Lil Nas X, and he has a song called "Ride That Horse," where he's on a ranch in Texas doing some doing some rap. He also remixed "Ice Ice Baby" with Rick Ross last year. Yes, that Rick Ross. Um, very interesting. You know what? Like Vanilla Ice and Rick Ross, not as dissimilar as you would think, given that Rick Ross has also fabricated things about his past. Oh, you mean a former prison guard that tries to play it off like he was gangster? Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, Rick Ross has made infinitely better music than Vanilla Ice has, but, you know, 
respect respect to them seeing that in each other and and collaborating with one another. For his part, LL Cool J has his own NCIS series, which is one of those TV series. I have no fucking idea how they keep making them. There's five different versions of them: NCIS Miami, LA, whatever. And I just I don't get. He's no. done 264 episodes, which is insane of NCIS. It will never finish. Dude, as long as there's people over 40, that show will continue to go on. Those are the type of people that love that show. Yeah, and the people under 40, they're dancing the vanilla ice in the club. <laughs> yeah. I want, to, I wanted to ask you guys, because this, like, this, both of these albums came out in, uh, in 1990, around the same time. They were released, I think, within a week of each other. But does one sound older than the other one? I mean, I I found like the uh, to the extreme to found like to, I, I felt like it was it came out in the eighties, and then whereas like Ella Kuje's album, it, particularly songs like uh, "Round the Way Girl" or "Mama Mama Said Knock You Out," it's it just it sounded like the nineties, you know. Uh, I was wondering if you get your opinions on it in terms of it being dated. I think it's the production, like on for LL Cool J, you have DJ Marley Marl, who's legendary producer awesome producer versus to the extreme vanilla ice you have earthquake who i've never fucking heard of probably never did an album after this um and ice ice baby holds up because it's just a great sample it's just like under pressure is a great song the 900 number on go ill it's just a great song so it holds up yeah i mean i after i listened to this through uh the first time i needed a palate cleanser and i put on it takes a nation of millions to hold us back and that came out the year before and sounds like it came out like three years afterwards so mm. I guess I guess it's just very terrible production on the Vanilla Ice album. Yeah, yeah. All right, I have to wrap these up because I'm desperately trying to keep them under an hour. Plus, we have a lot of chaos in the background. If you had to choose one song off the album to play to someone to show them what it's about, which song would you mm. choose? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you go. You go ahead first, Paul. <laughs> okay, I I'd probably choose "Go Ill" just because it. You know, it's fun to listen to, sort of despite Vanilla Ice. Um, but you can still have a, a fun time while listening to it. It's very hard to like fuck up that sample. So, and if you just want someone to have a nice time while listening to a rap song, you probably probably could do worse than that. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to do worse than that. I'm going to say Rasta Man, <laughs> just because um, I want because I want people to listen. It, it's I, I want listen. I want people to listen to it. As if I was digging up like Walt Disney's tapes of anti-Semitism. I just want people to listen to him and be like, did you know he did this? Like he recorded that? And then I want to see the shock in people's faces. Um, that's, that's what I would do because it's just, it's just so uh, lost in history uh, that I want to, uh, I want to uh, you know, dig it up for people. I want to show people Justin Trudeau's blackface photo, basically. Basically, that's what I want. I want to expose it. You know what? I'm trying. I would. I will bring Rasta Man back so I can get Vanilla Ice cancelled in 2020. I was just gonna say it's 2020. We can finally cancel Vanilla Ice. I believe that we can do it this year. Perfect. I'd say Life is a Fantasy Thank because you. it's so weird. This beat it does not belong on the album. I think Future could be rapping over a beat like that these days. Um, so that's the song I would choose. Before we go, Paul, we do want to talk about your projects that are going on right now. Obviously, you're doing the stand-up, and you've got some podcasts in the pipeline, so uh, tell us a little bit about it. Sure, them. yeah. I'm, I'm a comedy writer and performer based in London. Um, we, I just finished a, a sketch podcast uh, with Next Level Sketch, the sketch group that I work with uh, here in London, and we've just started a podcast because, you know, we can't do shows at the moment because uh, of the gestures at the world. 
Um, I also have another another hip hop podcast called Brick Squad um, with Lincoln von der Vesthosen, and we talk about hip hop albums. We talk about classic hip hop albums, and then we ignore them, and we talk about other albums that came out the same day. Similar to this podcast, Judd. I, I didn't want to bring it up uh, until this stage. Oh, but... like one hundred percent. There is no when albums collide without Brick Squad totally inspiring it and and being for it. it is one of my favorite podcasts absolutely amazing if you like this podcast check out brick squad podcast it's so you're great. eating food off our plate judd you're eating food off our plate with with no food on it because it's free yeah we do we're gonna do pop albums as well though um there's a madonna album that's just staring us down in the face that i am <laughs> i'm dreading that we have to do judd, judd is our judd is our biggest and some would say only fan uh so that's that's great and we'll, we'll be coming back with new episodes soon Thanks so much, guys, and uh, we'll see you next up. Oh, yeah, man. No problem. Anytime. And um, word to your mother. So long. <laughs> I had to call you like, oh. I made a friend whose name is Dario. I want to wrap things up because so I'm fucking desperately trying to keep things under an hour. And also, um, Lucy's really going so super, super psychedelic in the background. No problem. I just want to say uh, to Lucy, uh, nothing is real and we're all vibrations.